I got an email recently telling me I should I should buy a School of Rock franchise. I don't know how I got on that email <laughs> list, but I was like, you know what? Of all the of all the weird franchise emails I get, that that's the most tempting one. Hi, and welcome to the episode of Center Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Center Nation, we like discussing genre. We like kind of delving into genre and tropes and the history of it. And we are just now ending our month-long study of the Texas genre, the Texas movie genre. And with this new format we've been doing, our last episode of the month will always be a director who has worked within that genre. But first, I want to recap uh, Thomas, the Texas tropes we've talked about this past month. What have, what what makes a Texas movie? Um, we've talked a lot about Texas as, as a land and, and the kind of physical and, and mental and social ramifications of, of the, the, the land of Texas, um, whether that means yeah. feeling trapped in Texas. We've talked about, you know, like how, how large and vast Texas is and just kind of feeling swallowed up by the vastness of it. Um, a lot of times that's, that's shown in, in the movies we've, we've observed with younger people um younger people feeling like swallowed up by the vastness of it um yeah and we've also seen kind of on the opposite end like the pride of of the land in texas like being being proud of of your ranch um and we've seen that anywhere from from giant to um to the last week hell or high water um talking about you know doing anything for your family land um we've also talked about crime and law and order and kind of this duality in texas like it, it is the cowboy state it's it's the, the the land of outlaws but also the land of texas rangers and and exploring the duality of 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 both sides of that yeah and 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 changing of time for sure we've talked about yeah. you know the death of the death of small towns over a long period of time from the last picture show through to hell or high water oil <laughs> oil 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 is a big one i think i don't know if you touched on it really but like family conflict will happen between say a father and son or kind of the idea of establishing a legacy is another thing that was talked about in giant and even to an extent hell or high water so yeah that's kind of what takes up kind of the texas genre but when it comes to texas film and texas movies as a genre when thinking up a director to talk about the fits within the genre it felt like the natural choice is richard linklater and maybe, and this, and we'll discuss it here. I don't know if he fully fits into some of the tropes we're talking about, but I feel in terms of Texas as being an outlet for filmmaking and film production and film stories of '90s till now, I think Linklater is a big is the big reason for mm -hmm. that. Like, we, well, we talked in the in the first episode, we talked about kind of the the boom in the '90s of, of indie directors yeah. coming out of Texas, and, and Linklater was was really the first person in that boom. Richard Rodriguez um, would come soon after and Wes Anderson um, after that. I mean, Ro Robert, Robert, Robert Rodriguez. Robert, I'm, looking Robert. At, I'm looking at Richard Linklater's name written on my screen right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Wes Anderson not long after that, but it was it was really Linklater who, who showed, I mean, because Linklater worked on an even smaller, smaller, smaller scale than those two. I mean, and, 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 yeah. and Rodriguez yeah. is famous for for being able to work on a shoestring budget and um but but link later was was you know shooting on super 8 and cutting on beta at the local um like cable access station um so i, I think i think he's really the person that the, the 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 huge kind of texas indie boom 
really brings itself back to him so i I think for both of us that was the first person that popped to mind when we were going to talk about like texas directors yeah and and i think it's also i was listening a little bit to a documentary they did on him i think called 21 years where a lot and i think even just like some pbs doc stuff where they interview a lot of directors that kind of got their start in the 90s or early 2000s and they kind of consider linklater along with soderbergh is kind of the first wave of indie filmmakers in america specifically indie filmmakers that were coming outside of the hubs of la or new york yeah well and it was and, also a big time where you know a, a lot of the because it's it's really different from like the film brat movement like we, like we we, we talked yeah. about um bogdanovich a, a few weeks ago bogdanovich was a film brat and you know you've got spielberg and scorsese and and i i think the the 90s indie rise is so different from the rise of the film brats because the film brats were all about taking what they knew about classical hollywood and applying it to low budget whatever they could get their hands on in in the effort to recreate what they loved about hollywood and and so much of 90s indie cinema and i think link later was a trailblazer in that was saying i've got a camera i don't have to make anything that hollywood would want me to make i can make whatever i'm interested in and it doesn't have to resemble anything that came before it and um and people got really excited about that but but you know when when the when the 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 exciting thing about the the film brats was they were they were making these movies on a very small budget but they were still these like like scorsese they were still these grand gangster movies in the fashion of they were exciting and they were new but it was in the fashion of these older things and and you can't you can't say that like slacker is is like anything that had come out of hollywood before it's just no not not at all and and even just the indie cinema before Mm. uh i think i i i heard him say in an interview where he was saying it was yeah he goes like i i've never been like uh I've never fought in a war. I've never done, I've never done these big things. I've never been like a space traveler or this. And he's like, but I still see my life as cinematic. Like I see drama within my life. I see falling in love. I see, um, conversations that happen. He's like, I still see, I, I, I feel like there are stories to tell. And I think that's where slacker comes from, uh, about, uh, and it's like in his city of Austin. And I know I've heard Kevin Smith says before numerous times, and he's like, when I saw Slacker, that was like, that was the movie that's like, okay, I can make a mm. film. He's like, that's like what I was like, this guy's just doing it. And it's like something I've never seen before. And it's just people talking. And that's what I want to make. And like, it inspired that, that wave of, of mid, uh, mid nineties, uh, indie cinema, uh, filmmakers. Um, so I guess we kind of answered why Linklater. And also too, because he has such a profound impact on, texas as a as a hub for filmmaking or austin specifically it's like i don't i don't know if austin has a film industry at least not the way it does now if it wasn't for someone like link later mm-hmm. like I, I i just don't really see it because i think everyone kind of everyone kind of followed suit after that of people like rodriguez people like anderson even people like john sales coming down and shooting in texas with lone star I don't know if that happens without Linklater and Slacker. Um, so background for these episodes, we're going to talk about the background of Linklater's life and kind of before he got started as a filmmaker. And so I'm going to read a little bit that I have. So he was born in Houston, 
uh, Houston, Texas, and he moved to East Texas uh, later on in life when he was in, when he was in school. Uh, Huntsville, Texas, where he went to high school from ninth to tenth to ninth to eleventh grade, and that was kind of the in, or the uh, inspiration for Days and Confused, and it was kind of his autobiographical take on his time at Huntsville, Texas when he played when he played baseball and when he was going to school. He was the backup quarterback on the football team. He played baseball, transferred schools his senior year to play for a better baseball team. Then he went to Sam Houston State University where he played baseball, and he has basically said. Uh, everybody wants some is kind of his time his freshman year at sam houston state when playing uh baseball one thing i didn't know so he dropped out of high school or dropped out of college and then worked on an offshore oil rig on the gulf of mexico that's very texas (laughs) like he went off and he would read novels on the rig and he returned home and he started going to like a local repertory theater and that's how he consumed film. But he was basically consuming film theory and watching movies and studying philosophy, but he was never like delving into film production yet. There's a video online you can find, I think it's Richard Linklater on Patience, where he talks about how he was like, I wasn't, he said, I had a film production book about film technique, but I wasn't picking it up just yet. I was like, I'm not ready yet. Let me consume as much as I can before I touch that book and start delving into actually making films. So when he came back, he enrolled in Austin Community College and studied film. One of the big things I want to talk about that he did, which is a big kind of influence on the Texas uh, production side of it. So in 1984, I believe, him and his later director of photography for his first few films, Lee Daniel, and Lewis Black, who was, I believe, a, a author for the Texas Monthly uh, at that time, they founded the Austin Film Society. And that was essentially where they were trying to bring hard to find or obscure films to Austin and they would watch them and it'd be an upstairs of a coffee house. And it got so big, they started to expand. And this was a big reason why uh, basically their goal was to, at the end, push film production and education within the state. And it was a big reason why production and education and in a way incentives came to Austin because they had these homegrown filmmakers and Austin Film Society was a big reason for that. And and it's still a thing nowadays. Linklater still is a part of the Austin Film Society where they showcase film. I think they actually just bought a theater recently in Austin where they've been showing independent films and kind of foreign films. And so also to Lewis Black, who was one of the co-founders of the Austin Film Society, about a year or two after that, he was asked to find, uh, to help create a festival, which ended up being South by Southwest. So it's like you're seeing at this point in the mid to late 80s, a bunch of these kind of uh, like-minded individuals who were interested in film, interested in art, are creating all these things that have essentially become the foundation of what Texas film industry or Texas uh, art industry, entertainment industry has become. There's the brief, the brief history of Linklater. Mm-hmm. So he, so after that, in 1985, he makes his first movie. A lot of people think that Slackers his directorial debut, but it's actually not. It's a second feature. Uh, his first one is "It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books." Thomas. You believe you have seen this movie? It, I, I, it, <laughs> I told I told Brandon I, I it feels like a fever dream, which which the movie in itself I, I wouldn't call a fever dream, but maybe like a waking dream. Um, I, I definitely watched this in a film class at some point. 
I don't remember when. I thought maybe it was when we were in school together, but you say you've never seen it, so it must have been earlier than that. It, it feels very him, it, and, and you can see why people would would watch it and get excited because it, it's something that that if, if you if if someone were to make it today, if, if anyone, I think, were to try and recreate this movie, you would like accuse it of being, I don't know, pretentious and cerebral or something. But it just does not feel that way. It feels utterly sincere when it's coming from him. And it's just him as the main character. Uh, it's not really named. So maybe it is Richard Linklater. Who knows? Um, just traveling, just traveling around Texas on train most of the time and just interacting with people. But like very rarely, there's not a lot of dialogue, which is funny because that's what he would come to be known for. But I imagine it's because he just didn't have access to very good audio, um, recording equipment. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, and, and you, you see it, you see him bring lots of elements of this into later films. There's kind of the, from one interaction to another, much like Slacker does. Um, and then a lot of, I mean, even just like the, there's so much in the movie. It feels like it's just a camera out a window of a train, which, you know, would end up being the opening sequence before sunrise. Before sunrise. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even waking life has, has train sequences of, of, of Wiley Wiggins character just on a train traveling and then kind of going from person to person and hearing someone give the, a philosoph a philosophical rant of some kind mm -hmm. yeah it's one of those things you, you watch and 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 you know now knowing what he would become it's kind of fun to watch and go oh that's that's richard linklater but it, it's it's easy to imagine watching it and just going what is this who 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 is this person like i have to find out yeah and so you can find that i think it's on the bonus feature on slacker the criterion edition it's also it's on youtube so you can view it on youtube someone put it up a few years ago it's like 86 minutes and i think he had daniel johnston did, did uh yeah was a musician yeah you know that's I, I was gonna bring it up when you're talking about working with lewis black I've, I've always considered and i texted you the other day and said i think richard linklater is an incredible casting director um yeah, but I think overall he's he's an amazing producer. He he's someone who is great at gathering talent, and you you hear all these stories specifically yeah. about him gathering cast, but but uh, he 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 he's really good at like surrounding himself with and like picking out talent, and uh, and that's you know Daniel Johnston is is possibly the last great like folk hero. I think you know one of those people mm -hmm. that never really broke mainstream, but when he passed last year, everybody everybody knew him like everybody knew of him at yeah. least when when he died when he died um yeah and to to think that you know he was here in link later's like first little movie that barely anybody else was in is is kind of wild and and you know that he was back there working with lewis black on you know on a daily basis um which is something we'll continue to see especially in his in his third film after it's impossible learn to plow by reading books he also did a few short films one was called woodshock where it was like a, a short little documentary of uh, footage at a a concert or a, a a music festival in Austin, I believe, and it's basically just um they're trying to make it look like the like nineteen sixties seventies like kind of like acid trip movies in some way, um and I think Daniel Johnston is also in that one as well, um and it was shot by Lee Daniel and Lee Daniel was his DP I think for Slacker Days and Confused Before Sunrise, I think Before Sunset and i'm not i think that's kind of all i did weirdly he did a lot of the earlier ones lee daniel is more known for like um uh documentary type stuff he likes doing documentaries i think his last one they worked together on was fast food nation which has like a documentary quality to it 
Um, but I think in term in terms of talking about his DP with Lee Daniel, I think it's very important when looking at something like Slack or, or even before Sunrise, where it's a lot of just following mm-hmm. people. And Slacker is pretty much that. Slacker, I, I came to that movie, I think about a year ago, and I'd heard like everyone talk about it with Kevin Smith and all these directors. And I'm like, let me finally watch this. And I I really did not know what to expect. For some reason, I was thinking something along the lines of Clerks in some way, just not as like, um, for lack of a better word, crude as Clerks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I was actually like really shocked by what was going on in that movie where it's like, you're essentially following and he, ha- and he has the whole speech in the opening of the movie. It's actually linked later in the movie where he gets picked up in a car. I think it's a taxi mm-hmm. of some kind. And he's talking about this crazy dream he had. And he's talking about like just the ability to, to flow from conversation to conversation. And in a way, like it's essentially um, <laughs> choose your own adventure the 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 American indie style mm-hmm. where you're starting with Linklater and then all of a sudden you just start following different people throughout yeah, the, the camera day. just keeps getting passed around yeah and it's insane and I, and just the 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 technical skill to be able to do that where you can able like let me figure out how to carry the camera from this person to this person and it be seamless and I think with Lee Daniel Lee Daniel's um experience in uh, with documentary, it, it is a really seamless transition to go from these different stories and it's captivating. I don't know if it's a film that I could find myself rewatching over and over again, but just especially for the first time seeing it, how even today it still has this fresh quality to it. And you can tell like this was innovative for the time. But the, I think the big thing, you know, if, if you, if you saw it's impossible to learn to plow by reading books and you just watched it and you're like, you know, this is a kid to watch. the The thing is, when Slacker dropped, the that's when you get the 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 dialogue. That's when you get the Richard Linklater dialogue, and and it's it's just no one else can can do it. Yeah, and it has this very naturalistic, like feeling to it, even in Slacker when he's using mostly like, I think just mostly his friends. And another example would be like back there at the bus station. You know, as I got off the bus, the thought crossed my mind. You know, just for a second about not taking a cab at all, but, you know, maybe walking or bumming a ride or something like that. You know, I'm kind of broke right now. I should have done that probably. But uh, just because that thought crossed my mind, there now exists at this very second a whole other reality where I'm at the bus station, you know, and you're probably giving someone else a ride. You know, I mean, and that reality thinks of itself as this, it, it thinks of itself as the only reality, you know? I mean, at this very second, I'm in that, I'm back at the bus station, just hanging out, you know, probably thumbing through a paper, you know, probably going up to a payphone. And I'll say this beautiful woman just comes up to me, just starts talking to me, you know? Uh, she ends up offering me a ride, you know, we're hitting it off, go play a little pinball. And we, we go back to her apartment, and she has this great apartment. You know, I move in with her, you know? And see, if I say I have a dream some night that I'm with some strange woman I've never met, or I'm, you know, living at some place I've never seen before, see, that's just a momentary glimpse into this other reality that was all created back there at the bus station. You know? And then, you know, I could have a, a dream from that reality into this one, that, like, this is my dream from that reality, you know? Of course, that's kind of like that dream I just... <laughs> you know, had on the bus, you know, the whole cycle type of thing. Man, shit, I should have stayed at the bus station. So he does Slacker, and then he moves to Dazed and Confused. 
which is i mean i'm gonna let you because is this your favorite link later film is Days yeah i think i think this is his masterpiece uh, uh, okay and, and, unless you if i don't it, the only the only time i would like hesitate that is if you gave me the before trilogy as like a solid set if you said it that that counted as like all, as, as one, one I, might, I might i might uh have to debate myself but um but yeah days confused is incredible it is I, I i love this one and and you know maybe it's this thing too if i saw this movie when i was probably around the age of of wiley wiggins in the movie and so yeah. it was like it just hit me but um i i think it is one of the best ensembles just in the way it handles an ensemble yeah um from from technical standpoints from plot standpoints from story standpoints i, I love I, I was i showed it to my girlfriend for the first time um about a month ago and, and I, I one of the things i've always loved about this movie and i said it to her was it feels like one of the most realistic high school movies especially when i was in high school and i was watching it because there's there are like clicks but they're not like hard drawn lines it's just all about i love the, the way the movie flows and it's just the stoner hops in the car with the jock and and the you know the the geeks will come hang out with them and, and everyone is just has their social circles that are all interacting all at the same time yeah and, and very few high school movies do that. A lot of them kind of just have followed the John Hughes template of these are the cliques. Everyone's divided. They're not going to interact. Mm. When like my high school is like I was the head of head of the drama department, but some of my best friends were playing baseball, playing basketball, playing football. They were in the band. It was like it. It was very much like this there like you didn't you didn't have to find clicks that mm. way the skater kids were were like really good friends with the cheerleaders like it was just like it really wasn't as uh cut and dry as what a lot of high school films do and dazed and confused is probably that one and then i would argue as well american graffiti which is kind of the two films that really do this well is that it definitely captures that authenticity of being in high school and having friends where like Oh, it's that friend from elementary school that you've known for years. He became a geek, but you play baseball, but you're still best friends. Mm. Like that's just kind of what he captures in the movie. Yeah, and I, and I think so so many films within the like high school genre are so heightened. It's like you know, there's drama and all this stuff, and this feels like it, it's it's I don't want to say aimless because that has a negative connotation to it, but it but it just flows on its own, and that feels more realistic yeah. to what the experience of being a teenager is um i think to me at least but yeah i i absolutely i can I, this is one of those movies there's there's not a long list of them but this is one of those movies i could watch every day and just never get sick of it there's there's something new every time you come back and it and it builds the characters build and the, the relationships you have with everyone just just keeps growing yeah it's a i i, I heard in a, in a in a video essay at some point about i think they were talking about american graffiti but they kind of brought dazed and confused where there are these two films where it feels like they're not a love letter to a time. They feel like a love letter from that era. Mm. Like you look at certain kind of coming of age, like high school movies, and it feels like you're writing about a previous time and you're, and you're adding your own kind of like new perspective to it. So that's why some of the kids talk uh, older and, and wiser than what they probably should be. But Dazed and Confused has that ability where it feels like this is 1976 and it has that realistic vibe to it that's not really present in other films. 
So I, I don't know if you know this. I was going to read it off what the movie was originally supposed to be. No, nah, let me let me. So the original movie was way, way more experimental. The whole movie was going to take place in a car with the characters driving around listening to ZZ Top. It would have been two shots. One guy putting in an eight track of ZZ Top's Van Dango, and then one of two guys driving around talking. And the film would have been the length of the actual album, and you'd hear each track in the background as the source, is what the DP Lee Daniel said. So what, how would the movie would have been like if it was just him listening to ZZ Top in the car? And also, if you did that, what two characters do you pick? Oh, man. Uh, ooh, that's tough. Who do I want to be in a car with for, <laughs> for two? I, I mean, I think you got to go Slater. I think Slater's got to be in that car. <laughs> is it just Slater and Wooderson? Is that, is that what it is? Honestly, Don. Don's my favorite character in the whole movie. I, I absolutely, and it, 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 every time I watch that movie, it kills me a little bit inside that that actor never went on to do anything. He's so good in this. No, there's, there was one of them that I felt like it was Sean Andrews. That's not Don. There was one. It was Kevin. There was oh, one yeah, I Pickford. heard like he, yeah. No, he he screwed himself over. Yeah, that that's a famous. He was supposed to be the lead character in the movie. No, or something? he was supposed to be Wooderson. So the character um, who plays who plays Kevin, they call him Pickford or Pick. Um, he was supposed to be with them throughout the whole movie, and he and Mila Jovovich started dating in real life. They were dating in the movie. They started dating in real life, and they just like would not show up to set and just like not yeah. get involved at all. And, and, and um, Linklater's whole thing in this was like everyone was hanging out whether they were shooting or not like so everyone is a group we're all friends we're all hanging out and they like would not participate so he wrote him out of the movie basically and then was the story was he was down in the in the hotel bar and was like trying to figure out what to put back into these scenes where he had had Pickford this whole time and this kid from that went to UT Austin was like hanging around the hotel because he heard a movie was happening and he wanted to get involved and and Matthew McConaughey was born from there. <laughs> it's a, that's such a crazy story. It's just like talk about just like not, I mean a little bit of luck, but also just like McConaughey being like yeah the sheer power of will like the sheer I'm I'm gonna hang out and that's what he said. He said this. He's, he just started he was like yeah i mean all the we all hung out in this hotel together like all the kids would like hang out in the lobby and like he just said one day someone noticed that this like kid from the college had just like attached himself to the group and he was just suddenly around all the time and i was like okay and and i and i read i heard uh he said that when mcconaughey the first time mcconaughey showed up in the scene that's when they knew they had a movie mm -hmm. like all the cast was into this dude and it was just like this is the this like this is this is where they all knew okay this is gonna be a good movie when this guy just shows up and it's just so natural <laughs> like when you hear mcconaughey talk about he was just like i just had to figure out my character and we're driving up and i was just like i'm all about four things and i got three of them and i'm going for my fourth and that's a woman and that's like the 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 geeky like redheaded girl who hangs out with Adam Goldberg yeah, and, sister. And, Anthony, and, and Anthony Rapp. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I also days confused too. Another thing I was hearing about Ethan Hawke was talking about it. He was like, I love Slacker, and he was like, I was in a play with Anthony Rapp, and he was like, Anthony Rapp was just like, Hey, I, I have like tickets for this movie I was in. Uh, do you want to go with me? 
And Ethan Hawke's like, yeah. And it was dazed and confused. And Ethan Hawke was just like, I, I had done Dead Poet Society. Like I was, I was like feeling kind of good about myself. And like, I was, I was a working actor. And he's like, and I watched dazed and confused and it was just painful because I wanted to be in this movie. <laughs> like I, I, he was like, I want wow. to can live you imagine, in this movie. Can you imagine movie. Ethan Hawke is, is pink? That would have been interesting. I think Jason London's good. I, don't I love know, Jason I, London in this. Yeah, the only I, person, the only person I have problems with in this movie is Wiley Wiggins. And bless his heart, he's 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 sincere as can be. Someone just needed to step in and tell him to stop pinching the bridge of his nose because that is his <laughs> that is his crutch, and and he he just blows it every scene when he does that. But I, I still love him. I love him. my one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I, I mean, as as many incredible cast members are in this movie, my, my favorite scene in this movie is when he's buying beer. And he, <laughs> he just like recites back what he's been hearing Matthew McConaughey say. I love that scene so much. The, the, the clerk is just like, yeah, I hear you. Here's more money for your pocket. It's oh man, it's so good. All right, all right, all right. Oh Christ, how you doing? Pretty good. Cool. You heard about the party being busted, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to worry. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. It's out at the Moon Tower. Full kegs. Everybody's going to be there. You ought to go. Okay. Okay, we'll be there. Okay. Say so you need a ride? Uh, no, I got my own car. Thanks. Yeah, well, listen, you ought to ditch the two geeks you're in the car with now and get in with us, but that's all right. We'll worry about that later. I will see you there, all right? Bye. I love those redheads, man. I know you. <laughs> we had geography together, remember? Oh, great. Oh, God. God. Dick. It was so creepy. Ah, why are you smiling? I thought he was cute. Oh, that's disgusting. You thought he was cute? <laughs> Do you realize when he graduated, we were like three years old? Oh, Cynthia, what are you thinking? So, Days and Confused comes out. Uh, it doesn't do phenomenal. $8 million on the box office for a $6.9 million budget. But it's a huge hit on, like, home video. It's one of those movies that begs for a rewatch. And it, yeah. it's, there's something very specific. The Coens do it really well. You know, uh... I, th I think something like I don't know, Wet Hot American Summer. Like there's mm -hmm. something, and it's there's a specific type of humor, and it's really hard to hit. But it's like the first time you watch it, you're like, "That's funny," and then the next time you come back, you're like, "Oh my god, this is hilarious!" Like, yeah, why did I not realize this the first time I watched it? I don't know. I, I can't describe it. It is it is untouchable. It's like when it's like these days when you hear like a, a company say like, "Oh, we're gonna go viral." Like, no, you can't. <laughs> there, you can't plan viral. Yeah, there there are no like there's there's no numbers. There's nothing like of value in going viral. It just happens. And I think yeah, this this type of I mean, there's there's cult when it's like cult like schlocky or like you know Rocky Horror or something. Like this is a different kind of like it's just a comedy that that works best if you've seen it 20 times yeah and there's no way to describe it there's no way to like pick that apart and also just introduced us to so many people in this film with affleck with ben Aff or with with mcconaughey with affleck with uh parker posey with uh uh joy lauren adams i mean renee zellweger without a speaking yeah role, without a speaking like... role like it's just it's it's crazy so he does days and confused but it feels like he he, he has a great he can have a great one-two punch and the first one's dazed and confused 
and then his left hook is before sunrise. Mm-hmm. Like you go from dazed and confused to before sunrise. And so, so Thomas, we both rewatched before sunrise. Actually, here's a question: Should we talk about that about this trilogy as a whole, or in the confines of like the chron- like the chronological view of of Linklater's career? I think I think we should I think we should cover the basics. Okay. As we're going through the chronology and then save a little bit of time at the end to come back and just discuss this as a piece. Because, because like, dropping before midnight in, what, 2015? I think it was, like, 2012. Okay, it, it like, begs you to... 2012, like, it is a piece. It is, it is yeah. one solid piece. And um, this this was the first time I've watched it as one solid piece. Um, I, I never... Same. I, I never attempted that before. And a friend of mine, I, I, I posted about it on social media that I was doing it, and a friend of mine said, you know, a lot of people are doing that during quarantine. That's um, weird. That's an interesting choice. I, I think it's maybe something that like everyone had always intended to do in their minds and like had never had never gone for it. It's not a long watch. I mean, I, I know plenty no, of people not. who watch sit and watch all the Lord of the Rings all the way through. Like this is about the length. If you did them all at once, it would be about the length of one director's cut of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially. I mean, yeah, before sunset's eighty minutes long. It's it's a breeze. So before sunrise happens. It was inspired by a a night uh, Linklater said he was traveling and he was in Philadelphia and he met this I think he met this woman I think either at a record store or a uh, a coffee shop I don't know maybe it was a waitress he meets this woman and he's like essentially I he's like I did something that I'd never done before and I essentially like asked her out like hey I'm in town for the night do you want to like kind of hang out and get a drink or whatever and. She said yes, and they ended up basically walking around the rest of the night in Philadelphia and just talking about every like everything they can think of, and that was the inspiration before before sunrise. And I feel like the first one, and we'll delve into it more, but the first one is the more like romantic of the three. Like this is like the pure like romanticism of these two characters of two trans cross. It's the the brief encounter two trans crossing for a brief time they spend one night together and the question at the end of the movie is will they get back together or will they not like mm-hmm. think about for the first nine years i've seen before sunrise of just like having to assume do they meet again does, does did he they meet, show did they, they meet, meet six months six later, months later? and yeah, that's just I, like I, I think it's it's it, the, this movie like each movie captures something separate about human interaction and this one is about a moment when when you meet somebody new and you know, or at least at the beginning, you think you're never going to see them again. And just the opportunity that gives you to just like bear yourself, your most authentic yeah. self to them, because you don't have to worry. Like you've, you've never showed them anything of yourself before. And you don't have to worry that much about what they think of you because you don't think you're ever going to see them again. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild that he pulled this off. I mean, it, it, having seen slacker, you would have known that he would be able to do this, but to to be able to work it even smaller, you know, to just make it two people the whole time and then to have mainstream success is insane. You know, my parents, they're still married and I guess they're very happy, but I just think it's an healthy process to rebel against everything that came before. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been wondering lately, do you know anyone who's in a happy relationship? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I know happy couples. But I think they lie to each other. <laughs> yeah. People can live their life as a lie. My grandmother, she was married to this man, and I always thought she had a very simple, uncomplicated love life. But she just confessed to me 
that she spent a whole life dreaming about another man she was always in love with. She just accepted her fate. It's so sad. And in the same time, I love the idea that she had all those emotions and feelings I never thought she would have had. I guarantee you it was better that way. If she'd ever got to know him, you know, I'm sure he would have disappointed her eventually. How do you know? You don't know them. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just people have these romantic projections they put on everything, you know, that's not based on any kind of reality. Romantic projections? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Romantic up there in the Ferris wheel. Oh, kiss me, the sunset. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So he does before sunrise. And here, here's where I want to get to, Thomas. <laughs> if you're looking, if you're looking at the rundown. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see, I see the, I see so, the list. So, <laughs> so he does before sunrise, and in this next film he does, I have heard many people say it is the forgotten Linklater film that you should discover because of its. It's set in Austin. Some people will try to pitch it as like a. A, a dark sequel to Dazed and Confused. I mean, even Roger Ebert gave this movie a good review. <laughs> even Roger Ebert? What are you trying to say here, Brent? <laughs> so this, this film called Suburbia and is about these kind of, all these friends, it's after high school, I think they're, some they're in college, but they're all stuck in Austin or actually they're all stuck in like a, a suburb of Texas. It's it's a fictional suburb. And it all takes place in one night, again, kind of like Dazed and Confused. And they're all just hanging out at a convenience store gas station. And one of their old friends who has kind of become this successful musician is coming to town. And everyone's kind of like reflecting on their lives since then and like wondering if this guy's changed. And the premise sounds like a Linklater film. So I had seen this before. Thomas has never seen this before. Thomas, what were your thoughts on Suburbia? So I think, you know, as we're approaching this chronologically from like Linklater's standpoint, it has to be clear this is the first movie he's made that he's not had any hand in the script, or at least is not credited. Correct. Yeah, for yeah, having yeah. any hand in the script. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found this movie extremely problematic. I was very deeply disturbed by it and like viscerally disliked this film. Okay. <laughs> like was disgusted. And I, 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 I I don't get disgusted by many things and I'm pretty high tolerance when it comes to movies, but, um, and, and it, and it took me, I, I was texting you during it and after I was done and it took me some reflecting on it to really figure out what it was that, um, that, that made me feel that way. And I, and I think what I, what I ended up with was, um, Linklater's strength as a director, as a writer, as whatever he does, you know, to manipulate time and space to make a movie, his strength is is putting you right there. You never and and I think it, it goes back to maybe it goes back to his early style being influenced by working with Lee Daniel, but he has a very naturalistic style. I've never seen a Linklater movie where I was ever aware of the camera ever. Like he's 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 not trying to impress you with like where he puts the camera and he's not trying to do anything with the camera that you probably wouldn't be able to do yourself. Yeah. And so by doing that, he makes you feel like you were there days confused. You were in the car with those people. And that's part of the reason why I think there's such like a warmth to it and why it feels very like, like a, like comfort food sometimes, at least to me, this movie, I do not want to be around these people. And I think if it was, if it like I told you, if, if it was shown to me as a play and there was a proscenium between me and the people there, because a play a play is essentially your something you watch where a film is oftentimes something you experience. It's, it's a little yeah. more immersive. And I think if I was watching this as a play, I would be able to say, wow, those people are awful, but 
I'm glad I, I don't have to meet any of them because they are awful. Everyone in that movie is <laughs> is awful. The characters, uh, not 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 the actors. No, not right? the actors. But like Steve Zahn, who is it's weird. Like Steve Zahn is doing his like Steve Zahn thing where he is yeah. like borderline annoying but like charming but doing it and being racist and misogynistic at the same time so like it, you don't know how to feel and um nikki cat from uh from days confused is just the absolute worst like yeah. he is no one should be around this person he should probably be in jail but we're we're there in the parking lot with him acting like he's our best friend and it it made me feel gross it made me feel and 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 that's the thing i said you know you would probably see this as a success this is Linklater doing what he does best he is putting you right there he is making you feel like you know these people like you are around these people like you're in this gas station parking lot with these people but but because this is a script that is not natural to him it feels like they're working against each other i i if if i somehow watch this and i could say okay those people are very far away from me I can watch their lives be bad and I can watch them be awful people. Mm -hmm. But because Linklater's directing it, like I am right there, like I'm, you know, walking the streets of Vienna with Jesse and Celine or, you know, all the walking the streets of Austin and slacker. Like I, I am right there and I do not want to be, it makes me extremely uncomfortable to want. So you're, you're, you're you're almost saying that because he's such a good director, it yes. makes you hate no i'm absolutely saying that i'm absolutely <laughs> saying that someone else directing this would probably not have the ability to drop you into that parking lot the way that link later does and what yeah. really got to me like i can watch movies about terrible people i can watch american history x and say wow that guy is a awful awful racist murderer but i can watch his journey with this movie they have some extremely racist the, many of the main characters are extremely racist and misogynistic and violent but but you're you're supposed to be there with with them and i i couldn't handle that i could not handle that it feels like none of them are like good friends to each other like no, they're all they're, all they're awful. all there's no reason for any of them to be the, the two that are dating there's no reason for them to be in a couple and they don't really learn anything like maybe by the end you see giovanni ribisi's character like go like oh what am i doing this is this is not a good place to be but no one learns anything and this is another thing we've, we've talked about with the texas genre because i do think suburbia fits into this texas stuff that we're talking about with texas tropes we're talking about you have giovanni ribisi who is this guy who's stuck in in his tail in texas and it was a he helped start the band that his friend went off and has become famous with and it's like he's now become trapped when he's starting to see even some of his friends like steve zahn and his girlfriend where they're like now getting opportunities to go move to los angeles to like do follow their dreams and he's kind of just sitting here in texas like what the hell's happening but i will say the one big thing about this movie so that i i think doesn't really work for me with with link later a lot of his films he's obsessed with time and he'll put time constraints on his films in some way where it's in one night or if it's in a real time aspect or if it's in one day or if it's in three days like everybody wants some there's something about the time where he's just obsessed with it even his characters are talking about the passage of time and what it's going to be like in memory and this is the one movie where it feels like the time and the constraint that it puts doesn't work Days and Confused feels like one night, and it's it's kind of a breeze. Suburbia feels very slow, and I'm not sure how it's one night. Because there's mm. so much stuff that happens in it 
where I'm like, I don't feel like there's enough time for mm-hmm. all of this where like one guy goes to jail, then he gets out of jail. One guy gets ready to, to move to LA. These people are working. There's a concert. It's like so much happens in one night, but it never feels realistic. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the convenience store owner who is, is good in this movie has like multiple run-ins with these guys. And I'm just like, wait, it feels like you've forgotten about the previous run-in, which was probably only 30 minutes ago and the way this film is established. So just something about it, just that that doesn't click for me. Yeah, and if you're, if you're looking for a, t- a Texas movie, I, might I recommend Dazed and Confused instead? <laughs> we didn't really touch on that, but I mean, there is yeah. a lot of those themes of being stuck. And especially, I mean, if, if we're trying to draw, you know, all these, if we're trying to draw parallels between all these Texas movies we've talked about specifically with yeah. Last Picture Show, there's there's, there's the, the very same, like, I don't know if it's necessarily a metaphor, but like this idea of like the adults in the town being way too invested in the high school football team and the actual players of the high school football team not caring that much. Um I, I love there's a there's a it's a really quick and it's just like an establishing uh, sequence to get pink into a certain scene. But there's just a, a shot where we open on this old couple like talking to pink and he we've already heard him like debating whether or not he's going to play football next year. And it's just this like really, really old guy like walking alongside him and he's like gripping his arm and he's like, is this arm ready to throw us all the way to, um, to the uh, playoffs next year? And pink's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. He said, we really depend on you boys. And I mean, that's like straight out of, of um, Last Picture Show. Like this, this yeah. uh, you know, you can see you can see this young person who plays football every weekend and is just like, yeah, it's fine. And, but like seeing all these adults and being like, is this my future? Is this what I have to look forward to is like watching other teenagers play football for the yeah, rest of my life? My life. Well, and, th- and then you have the scene, I think, at the end where it's like when they're on the football field. And th- is this where he says, like, I don't want these to be... Yeah, well, keep L-I-V-I-N. Be- oh yeah yeah if these are the best if i ever call these the best days of my life shoot shoot me yeah like it's very much like please don't like, i don't want football in high school to be the big, biggest thing in my life but suburbia is the, is the one yeah i would say n- not watch like, it, it definitely has some of the tropes that he's been playing with in earlier films and i think you also you get the kind of essence of suburban life which you're going to see repeated in a couple of films like Fast Food Nation. But yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on Suburbia. I just know Thomas really did not like this movie. Well, I, I think <laughs> one of my initial reactions, I sent you like 15 minutes into it, as I said, what, I, what I'm running up against right now is, is I've always felt Linklater as a, an extremely earnest writer and director. And this movie feels cynical and yeah. in, a, in a way that doesn't feel and like there's him. and there's no balance like you can you can argue before sunrise that like at first like jesse is a cynic who's or he's a he's a romantic posing as a cynic mm-hmm. so and then you'll get later on with before sunset there is some cynicism to it but there's always that balance of cynicism and romanticism and it's always earnest is, it's always yeah. open and and it never feels like it's putting anything on and and suburbia just feels like a black hole of cynicism to me it 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 just it it brought me down man it did okay moving on from suburbia real quick to the newton boys one of the ones i'd never seen before yeah i didn't even know it existed until you put this until you put this list together yeah uh linklater's really first i think outing into like studio filmmaking with the newton boys where it's essentially telling the story of this these bank robbing brothers 
starring Matthew McConaughey, Ethan Hawke, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Ski Ulrich. And also Dwight Yoakam is like the, not a brother, but the guy who like knows how to like, he's like the mentor. He's the, he's the one yeah. who, who taught McConaughey how to, how to, how to, how to rig up bombs. And uh, it's kind of like showcasing the, the transition from Jesse James type bank robbery to like, blowing up bank or blowing up uh vaults to steal money at and the at, at night and it's like kind of like the transition into the modern era of bank robbing what were your thoughts on the newton boys i thought it was fun it's a little long it's not perfect in any sense no. but um, I, I texted you out I, I said i was surprised it didn't have a life on cable yeah. and i'm sure it was some kind of studio you know licensing and that kind of stuff but it felt like a movie that would have done well you know, if you turned on WGN on the weekend in like 2003, yeah. you would have gone, oh, what is this with like four famous guys in it and sit and watch it? Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Yeah, it, it definitely is a movie that kind of follows the link later, like not lack of structure, but just like it has that flow where it's not your typical like heist movie. Mm-mm. it's just it's very much why why the the first half of the movie i think works more than the second half of the movie because mm-hmm. i think because it's so long you're kind of you're losing the charisma these guys have together mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. like w- one of my favorites in that movie is like i think when they're robbing the first bank and ethan hawk and uh ski ulrich are on the lookout and ethan hawk just starts yelling at a woman <laughs> who's like what are you guys doing go back to bed <laughs> ethan hawk was, was fantastic i love ethan hawk but like just just letting him be like a supporting role was so much fun yeah he's the one that like didn't did, never thought about being a bank robber but once mcconaughey like brings him into it he's great at it like he's he, like he, i'm so down yeah honestly though my favorite part of the movie was in the end credits when they have the skeet Ulrich's character the real the real guy on johnny carson at like 80 it, and that was, like, oh that yeah was, we used to rob banks that was so much fun i i, I sat and watched that i was like I, w- I would watch more of this and apparently there is a documentary about them out but um yeah they, they, they and they bring it up in kind of the end title crawl is like they're they're part of the reason they're so famous is because they were one of the only bank robbers from that era to grow into old age and um yeah. because they didn't, they, because they out, didn't murder outlaws yeah. yeah because they they specifically did not murder anybody they weren't uh punished as long and so they got out of prison and all became old men <laughs> so all lived then, it, like, to, to, and all lives like in their 80s or 90s yeah insane but yeah mcconaughey oozes charisma in this movie which i think is i mean i i think this movie is kind of forgettable i do think if you chop like a half hour off of it mm-hmm. and make you a little yeah, more tired cut it, cut it for tv i mean you can't do that anymore but if you if they had cut it for television you know they used yeah. to trim 20 minutes off of it yeah um yeah, I think it would have done well. Yeah, I, I think because I, I do think it's it's kind of his version of the Sting. Like it feels like he's trying. Like the the look of it, the style of it, has this like Sting quality. Yeah, and you still got some um, you still got some Texas themes in there. Like you've got McConaughey talks a couple of times about you know growing up poor and in Texas and this being the only way they could get out. Like you could all, you know there's there's a cycle. You know we, we've talked about it before. There's the, and and Hell or High Water has the same thing. You know there's this cycle of being poor and um, Chris Pine calls it a disease and yeah and Hell or High Water and and these guys said yeah this was this was the only way we could do it and, and robbing from the banks was the best way too. There's a lot of Hell yeah. or High Water parallels yeah, in this. That, the funny part they buy an oil oil rig and they don't have any oil. Yeah. They're just like, they put all their money in this oil rig and they're just like, well, Standard Oil has that land, so they've drained your oil from over there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, we just spent all of our money from robbing banks to buy oil and we're not getting any oil. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely one of its lesser outings, but it's interesting seeing Link Flair work on a studio form and production design's great. Production and, design and I fun to, was great. I, I just really enjoyed seeing him and McConaughey back, like the first time they were back together after he had like launched him. There's something I want to ask you boys. Well, you never ask us anything, Willis. Why don't you just tell us what you decided? Now settle down. All right. All right. It's this. Banks are pretty much over for us. They've all gone to cannonball safes. There's hardly any victory bonds left. Most folks are putting their money in the stock market these days. Or oil wells. <laughs> well, what are we gonna do, Willis? Well, I got something in Chicago. And boys, this is the big one. Now, I still gotta check it out closer, but I got some fellas working on the inside. I don't know, Willis. Yeah, hell, Chicago. Well, what's wrong with Chicago? I don't know. Hell, Chicago. Since when you been gun-shy about traveling, Jess? I don't like the White Sox. <laughs> well, I'm talking about getting out of this game. We are out of the game. No, I'm talking about a couple of million dollars. Well, a couple million dollars? Well, th now that's interesting. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Yeah. I'm talking about our children and our grandchildren not growing up on dirt. We ain't gonna have no kids we get ourselves killed. Ain't nobody gonna get killed. So banks are over for us, so what? What are we doing but getting desperate? That's when it gets dangerous. You know that, Willis. This ain't gonna be no Toronto, Joe. I promise you that. 2001, I call, I'm calling it 2001 an experiment because two of his more experimental films are happening in 2001. Also, I believe he starts shooting a movie in 2001 that's very experimental and that's Boyhood. I can't wait. I can't wait. Everyone, listeners, stay tuned because Brandon has not told me what he thought on his rewatch yet, and I'm so excited. It's 2001. He he has tape, and he has Waking Life. And tape is a I I I I was wrong when I texted you that Before Sunset was his only real time movie. Tape is a real time movie, and it takes place on a, a a motel room, and he shot it with a camcorder. I think we've talked about this film before on our 24 hour way back, almost a year and a half ago now. Uh, where it's 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 a uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, Uma Thurman, and Robert Sean Leonard, and it's basically it's a reunion movie, and actually we talked about reunion movies, I believe is what it was, and they're all getting back together, and Ethan Hawke's character has a secret he needs to reveal she doesn't know about, and it's all it's all shot with the camcorder, and so what's weird about it is that he's really experimenting with like where can I put this digital camera? I think it's his really first time playing with digital cinema. And it's so interesting of just the way he's moving the camera. And so you're seeing him experiment with that. And then Waking Life is his like first rotoscoping movie where he essentially shoots the movie and then they animate it on top of the live action film. And Waking Life is kind of a little bit like Slacker where you have Wally Wiggins who is essentially walking around. I think it's Austin. I'm not sure if it actually says in the movie, but essentially he's having a dream and he's going from like, philosophical conversation to philosophical conversation and so i feel like both in 2001 that with both these films link is just like all of a sudden like after um probably the failure maybe the failure of the newton boys made him just like go back like hey let me just experiment some stuff and try new things that i couldn't do in the newton boys and then you have the you have the beginning of boyhood and so yeah it's just a weird interesting time for him in terms of experimenting that he i feel like he's 
he's working up to what ends up becoming peak Linklater, I feel like. So, in 2003-2004, and that's School of Rock and Before Sunset. School of Rock is probably, I feel like at least in terms of our generation, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Days and Confused is what for you, but I feel like School of Rock is the first movie where our generation was introduced to Linklater as a director. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I was introduced to School of Rock before I was aware of, like, you know, I I knew Steven Spielberg, but, like, I wasn't, like, I I didn't watch that movie and go, who directed this? But um, School of Rock did. School of Rock introduced me to classic rock, which became my defining musical genre through all of middle and high school. Sometimes I feel like Thompson and I are the same person, had the same exact rock. The School of Rock (laughs) CD was, like, my education into classic rock until I got classic rock gold. (laughs) <laughs> Which essentially, I, I brought in, I think I was in like 7th or 8th grade, and I and I was like, yeah, I love classic rock, and my, my one of my teachers was like, oh, you gotta, you gotta tell me about what you, you know, what, what songs do you like? And I brought in, I had a CD I bought that was just, it was one of those, you know, they made the, it was like so-and-so gold, it would yeah, just yeah. be like a collection of greatest hits, and there was one called Classic Rock Gold, and I remember I brought it in, and I like showed her, I was like, this is, this is my CD, and she looked at it and she goes, this is just basically the Dazed and Confused soundtrack. And I said, what's Dazed and Confused? And that was... <laughs> oh, yeah. Unknowingly, Linklater has been a big part of our lives. I, I asked my mom to get me School of Rock, the soundtrack. I think she like went to our local music store. Shout out Oz Music in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And like ordered School of Rock for me. And that was like... I mean, for the longest time, sadly, that was the only Led Zeppelin song I knew was the Immigrant Song off that <laughs> off that album and Substitute by The Who. Yeah, School of Rock, I, and I will argue this too, is that I feel like Jack Black has given his best performances in Linklater movies. Mm. I think with School of Rock and with Bernie, I, w- you w- I would argue are his two best performances he's ever had. And it's maybe because Link- maybe Linklater knows where to like... With School of Rock, it's it's probably the closest we'll see Jack Black as Jack Black on screen. And then Bernie feels like... But also, of- but also like... I don't know. It's 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 Jack Black, but it's like tolerable. I mean, Jack Black can be too much sometimes. I love like I've been to a Tenacious D concert. I know what like pure unadulterated Jack Black is. <laughs> okay, and that's the, that's the 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 crazy thing about School of Rock, and it's and it's kind of like you know certain movies like 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 Truman Show that like harnesses all the best yeah. of Jim Carrey without the the it's punch stuff, club the yeah. grading stuff. You know the stuff yeah. that can annoy you. Um, and I think that's that's what School of Rock somehow threads that needle where it it is pure unadulterated Jack Black, but not to the point where you're like, okay, that is like he's still realistic. He's still like a, a human being, which sometimes Jack Black can can be like inhuman in his level of like energy and and how and like bouncing off the walls. And I, I think one of his best pieces of acting comes in School of Rock when Tamika, the girl who comes, is like, hey, I want to be a singer he's like well you're a roadie or whatever and she starts singing i think aretha franklin yeah, it's chain of fools and jack black's face just goes like it's like he just found out god existed <laughs> like it's just he he is so like like he's about to start weeping like his face goes from like oh no you're roadie and then she just all of a sudden bursts into song and it's just like oh my god what is this like it's just it's it's for for just a brief second he doesn't say anything, but I think it's one of his best reactions he's ever given in film. Uh, and Linklater really, with School of Rock, melds the studio style and indie style very well. 
But when you're singing like Legend of the Rent or whatever it is, and it's this long tracking shot of of Jack Black doing it, and it's just slowly moving backwards, revealing the rest of the class. And I forgot about it because it's such a it helps the awkwardness of that moment and the comedy of that moment where it slows it down and you're not cutting and getting coverage of it. And it just works so well. And he does that a lot in some of these movies where it's like these studio films that he takes these longer takes and it, it definitely adds to the tension or adds the drama or adds the comedy. Um, he even has these like long shots of POVs that you'll pop up on like bad news bears and things. Yeah. Well, I, th I think too, one of the things you got to bring up when you're talking about the success of school of rock and specifically like him f fitting with school of rock is, is, one thing you see when you look through his career is that he is not necessarily a director who works well with someone else's script. Yeah. But I do think you have to acknowledge the the weird like way that everything influences everything. Mike, Mike White wrote this script. Mike White was one of the main writers for, uh, for Freaks and Geeks. Yep. Freaks and Geeks is very heavily influenced by Days of Confused. And so there's some kind of weird synergy going on there where you've got Mike White, who I'm sure looked to Days Confused a lot as he was developing as a writer, who then ends up writing School of Rock, which Linklater directs, and it just works perfectly. Like, I think this is not only one of his strongest films, but I think this is easily the best film that he did with someone else's script. I would, I would agree with you on that. And what's weird about School of Rock is, like, it's weirdly, it's been his most successful, like in terms of everything it was his biggest box office success made 131 million dollars well received critically jack black got a golden globe nomination also by the way jack black's two golden globe nominations come from school of rock and bernie so there you go he brings out the best broadway adaptation by andrew lloyd weber yeah uh, tv uh, show franchise tv show on nickelodeon franchised into a an actual school of, of rock <laughs> of rock I got an email recently telling me I should I should buy a School of Rock franchise. I don't know how I got on that email <laughs> list, but I was like, you know what? Of all the of all the weird franchise emails I get, that that's that, the that's most what tempting I would do. One. That's tempting. It starts off a dark stage, and then a beam of light, and you can see me and my guitar. Down, 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 down. In the end of time. There was a man who knew the road and the writing was written on the stone. And then a thin layer of fog comes in around my ankles. Roadies, that means dry eyes. We're gonna talk about this later. In the ancient time, an artist led the way, but no one seemed to understand. Chimes, Freddy. In his heart he knew the artist must be true. But the legend of the rent was way past due. And then Katie, you come in with the bass. Well, you think you'll be just fine without me, but you're mine. You think you can kick me out of the band. And then Zach, you come in with a face melter. Okay? Well, it's just one problem there. The band is mine! How can you kick me out of what is mine? And then, shh, Hawaii Five-O, you ever see that show? 
Okay, well, there's a drum solo in it. You're not hardcore. Unless you live hardcore. And then that's where I want the backup singers to be like, well, you're not hardcore. No, you're not hardcore. Unless you live hardcore. Unless you live hardcore. But the legend of the ranch was way hardcore. Boom. Big old explosion. Some, like, confetti comes down. Anyway, that's all I got so far. It's a work in progress. So we did School of Rock. 03 and then before sunset is 04 briefly i'll just go ahead and say it i think this is the best before movie yeah i, I agree with you i think it's just it's 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 a breeze i love the whole reunion aspect weirdly i think i saw this movie before i saw before sunrise i feel like i bought before sunset at this movie movies plus i believe is what it was uh in my town where we just bought i bought used dvds and i think this had like oscar nominated screenplay or like two thumbs up by roger ebert and i was like i gotta buy that and so i think i watched this one before i watched the first one and this one the way it's shot the steady cam stuff is great uh julie delpy adelpy and ethan hawk pick right back up where they left off and it's amazing to behold yeah it's and, and i think I, I having watched it as a as a block i think one of the things i took away from it new is that the before sunrise is about two people falling in love and before sunset is like is also about two people falling in love and it's not necessarily two people falling in love again like it it's they they've they you're watching them having changed and matured and and being almost different people falling in love in a different way and and i think that's incredible that they pulled that off because a lot of times if you watch a sequel to a romance it's either about them breaking up or it's about them breaking up and getting back together or it's about them falling in love again. And, and a lot of times that feels inauthentic or it feels like it cheapens the first movie. Um, and this this one pulls off. It's the almost the exact same energy from the first one just just nine years later. And it, and it works 100 percent. And and yeah, I think I think choosing to do this one in real time. The, the first one flows. The script flows like it is real time and visually we're jumping around because there it takes place over what 10 hours or 12 hours or yeah, yeah. um and so visually we do have to jump around to establish that sense of time but with this one the this the script just just goes we we pick up with them and and we we have an hour and 20 minutes with them and we watch them fall in love in an hour and 20 minutes and, and he has that ticking time bomb of like he has a plane to catch mm -hmm. and the question and last is line is incredible you're, you're gonna miss that you're gonna miss that flight and uh it's now and it's 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 subvert it's kind of taking what happened in the first one where they separate and this one's like now are is he gonna leave or is he gonna stay what's gonna happen and you're left with kind of not knowing mm. and but yeah it's like the the scene that gets me is the scene in the taxi Mm -hmm. when they're driving back to her place and it feels like they've been having kind of the romantic kind of like romantic conversation they had in the first one and they're getting to know each other and the reoccurring question is why didn't you show back up to vienna why weren't you there and then finally all the frustrations that have kind of built up through the conversation through the years of not seeing each other all just come out uh in the taxi cab and you're seeing not just their frustrations with each other but also like how they've kind of become like hurt people over the years. Mm -hmm. Like they've been hurt by other people. And it's these moments where like, 
when 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 Celine turns, Ethan Hawke kind of like reaches out to her, but then pulls his hand back, and then she does the same thing a few minutes later. I love it, and it, it's a it's a parallel. That my favorite scene in the first one is right before they kiss on the Ferris wheel. There's a, there, it just lets them sit there for a minute. Yeah, and and um and like he's looking at her, and then like when she turns, he'll look away. And it's very like intimate and like oh well they want they and and, yeah. and he he brings that back in this one and and it feels almost more intimate because now they're they're and 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 that's what I love about this trilogy is it explores you know the idea that like once you become like they they have a little argument in the first one but like it's not much and then they they both say like oh we only have this night let's not argue yeah and and, and the the trilogy explores them and and you know as you get into a deeper relationship with someone you can argue with them and, and you have time to argue yeah i love that i i think my favorite moment is is very early on but uh they're both fantastic in the when she she says uh something about he, he says did you did you go to vienna and she says no and did you and he says no and yeah. you can tell immediately that he he's did. lying <laughs> but it takes her it takes her a couple of minutes to realize it um yeah also shout because because link players use the same editor over and over again with uh with sandra adair mm-hmm. but her editing is so damn good and the scene in before sunset when he's at the when he's at the uh the when he's talking about his book and he's selling his book at the bookstore it's when he's when they're cutting back and forth between like the time and and like he's talking the story about when he saw Celine or or this fictional character he's created and it's showing their their moments back and forth the present to the past and then it cuts and it's of her standing in the bookstore and it's just like oh damn it's just such a like we've skipped all these this all this time and it's like finally she's here and he's built it up in his head so much and now it's like oh no it's not oh no but it's like Oh wow, the thing he's always dreamed of of running into that girl again, she's now standing ten feet away from him. And the mm. way that's edited is perfect. Did you show up in Vienna that December? Uh did you? No, I couldn't, but did you? I need to know it's important to me. Why, if you didn't? Well, did you? Oh, Oh, thank God you didn't. <laughs> well, thank I'm God, like, uh, thank God oh you didn't. God. I mean, thank God I didn't oh. and you didn't. I mean, one of us had showed up there alone, then that would have sucked. I know, I know. I was so concerned with that. I, I always felt horrible about not being there, but I couldn't. You know, my grandma died a few days before, and she was buried that day, December 16th. She that died day. The, the one in Budapest? Yes. You remember that? Yeah, I remember everything. Of course, it was in your book. But anyway, <laughs> oh, so. I, was about, I was about to fly to Vienna, you know, and, uh, and, I, and we heard the news about her. And uh, of course, I had to go to the funeral with my parents. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. But you weren't there anyway. Wait. Why weren't you there? I would have been there if I could have. I made plans and... We... You better have a good reason. What? Oh, no. No, you were there, weren't you? Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Oh no, I'm laughing, but I don't mean it. Uh, did you hate me? You must have no, hated I... me. Have you been hating me all this time? You have. No. Yes, no, you have. No. Oh, but you can't hate me now, right? I, I know. I, I mean, I, I my don't grandma... hate you. All right, come on. It's no big deal. All right. <sighs> I flew all the way over there. You blew the thing off, and my life's been a big nosedive since then. But I mean, it's not a problem. No, you can't no, say that. The next four movies, I kind of call the lost years. I'm not saying these movies are bad because I actually like most of these. 
but we'll run through them. So we got Bad News Bears, which I think is his only remake he's ever done. And it's fine. It's like, I think Billy Bob, when he's when he's being Billy Bob Thornton and not trying to recreate Walter Matthau with the, <laughs> with the lines that were given to Walter Matthau, I think it really works. I wish they would have said, hey, Linklater, do a movie about Bad News Bears, but just throw out the original script and like do it however you want to. It also feels like this is my other idea. My other thing about these movies is that I'm starting to see like he's taking certain movies as he's making Boyhood. Like he needs something to make while he's making Boyhood. Mm-hmm. And some of these feel that way. And also too, it's weird because you go from like I think from Bad News Bears to Bernie. I'm starting to see oh, this guy who's in Fast Food Nation is in Boyhood, and you're starting to see like oh, he must have been shooting Boyhood. And so that's why when he's making Fast Food Nation, Patricia Arquette's in it, Ethan Hawke's in it, and uh, the bo- the kid is in it as well. It's just like, oh, wait, that's why. And you're seeing some of the same character actors pop up from Scanner Darkly in Boyhood as well. Anyway, Fast Food Nation, this is my first time watching it. It feels like this is like trying to be his Altman movie. Hmm. We're seeing a lot of different storylines that never fully intersect, but they're all tied together because of the city they're in and because of like, the uh meat manufacturing plant you've seen fast food nation right i I saw it like when it came out in high school we read the book and um yeah it's it's it was weird because the book is nonfiction. the book is just a collection of anecdotes of like why fast food is bad um and they took it and turned it into a kind of narrative um i just remember this came out around the same time as thank you for smoking and and thank you for smoking was the superior of the two films at that time like, they felt very similar i think Krekenier is the best part of the movie he's only in there for like the first hour of the film because it skips like two months later or whatever it is and then you never see Greg Kinnear again because Greg Kinnear is like this marketing executive premise of fast food nation for those that don't know um this fast food company uh gets word that some scientists have been testing their patties, these new patties called the big one, and they send Greg Kinnear down to the city where the patties are made because people believe they're being like, it's like basically cow shit is getting in the uh, the hamburger patties. And he's sent down to kind of investigate it. Don't know why, he's a marketing guy, but he's sent <laughs> down to investigate this, and he ends up like, starts having doubts about what they're doing as a company. And what, like, the whole, like, he when he's first there, he, like, goes to the fast food place. Like, I want one big one, please. And, like, so excited. Like, oh, I, I market the big one. And then by the end of it, it's like every time he looks at a hamburger, he's just like, oh, God, what am I eating? It starts to kind of change. So I think his storyline is kind of the better one. Also, the young girl, like, the thing, the, the parts that I really love are the parts when, like, it's just, like, the teens who are, like, working at the fast food restaurant. Or Greg Kinnear talking with people. And the movie, weirdly, Linklater, I wouldn't say is a political director, like say Oliver Stone, but he does have political themes that run throughout his film, specifically with Fast Food Nation. And the problem with me with this movie is that it gets very political in the second half and it loses some of the charm that, I felt it had with like Ashley Johnson's character who plays Amber, where she's like working at the fast food restaurant, has a bunch of high school friends. And then the latter half, she turns into kind of like an environmental activist with some college kids. One of which is played by Avril Lavigne for some reason. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, so you're Mm. starting to see it's, it's, it's fine. 
it's not out i'm not saying it's worse i think there I, I think it's it's definitely in the again the lost years of kind of just a few mediocre movies but there's some good stuff in it uh also glenn powell pops up for the first time in Linklater film in this movie for like one scene um and then all the weirdest part bruce willis is in this movie also for one scene hmm. and, and i actually like bruce willis in this movie because it's him and greg kinnear and bruce willis just kind of like saying like dude sometimes shit gets in cow patties what are we gonna do shout out you know what shout out bruce willis cameos in studio films by early 90s indie directors am i right <laughs> what are the other ones tell us the other ones oh that just meant oceans 12 um, oh yeah okay <laughs> mid-2000s too like what was bruce willis doing in the mid-2000s paying for a divorce that might have been it <laughs> I'm sorry, Bruce Willis. Anyway, uh, so that's Fast Food Nation. Moving on to uh, another rotoscope movie, uh, A Scanner Darkly, which I really liked. A lot of my friends who were once stoners were like, yeah, this was totally a stoner movie when it came out. I won't say one of their names because they were just like, yeah, man, I haven't watched it since my stoner days. And we loved it because it's dealing with this whole idea of paranoia and conspiracies and the, it's a it's a adaptation of a Philip K. Dick novel or novel, I believe, and it's about uh, this guy who is a drug addict who is also a detective, and he's supposed to be going undercover to find out where these drugs are coming from. And he ha- it's it's a it's a it's a not a distant future, but a a a, a short time in the future. And he was supposed to go undercover and not get hooked on drugs. He gets hooked on drugs. And he's playing, he's played by Keanu Reeves and Keanu Reeves, character lives in a house of Robert Downey Jr. And Woody Harrelson and his girlfriends, Winona Ryder. It's such a weird cast for like mid two thousands where you think Robert Downey Jr. is now one of the biggest actors in the world. I feel like Woody Harrelson was around in that period, but is not what he is like now, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. He hadn't had the, the Harrelson as so yeah so like so the, like the chemistry between all four of them is actually really good and it's just it is it, it the rotoscoping thing is is weird at first but i do think once you buy into it it's a really cool like neo-noir thriller with some great performances in it and downey it's right when downey's it's two years before iron man and uh, a year i think a year before zodiacs this is kind of like his first like really like roll with a prestigious director before the big huge comeback of downey the downey science and then scanner darkly and then briefly because we're going to bring this up in the next episode actually he does a movie called me and orson wells which i think believe comes out in 2008 it's a little bit of his outlier because it's a period piece it's a period piece and it it wasn't written by him it takes place in like New York. They shot it in London, which most of his films always take place in Austin or maybe like LA adjacent in some way. And it, it it has a very like traditional way of filmmaking. But one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and we'll play a clip of it, is this idea of Zach Efron. It's basically me and Orson Welles. Zach Efron's character is this high school student who gets cast in a Orson Welles play and Orson Welles is uh, putting on a play at the Mercury theater. It's his first mo- first play that he's putting on, on by himself. And it, it's a weekend, this life of this theater company before their big opening night. But there's this, a great scene that Zac Efron has with uh, Zoe Kazan when they're at a museum and she's a writer and she talks about um, 
her the script the, the sto- short story she just wrote and she's talking about like what it is and zach efron asks about like oh what is it about she tells him and he goes okay what happens and so this scene establishes a big thing of Linklater's career a plot versus story i shouldn't even be here i'm supposed to be working on my play i haven't finished my three pages today or yesterday According to my timetable, I'm actually 48 pages behind. <laughs> but I um, I finished a short story last night at 3.20 in the morning. I've got my stamped, self-addressed envelope tucked inside, all ready for rejection. What's your story about? Uh, this museum, it's called Hungry Generations. It's just this sort of funny piece about this girl who goes to the museum whenever she's blue. And what happened? What do you mean, what happens? Nothing happens. Does something have to happen? No, I was just asking. No, the whole story is what I told you. This girl goes to the museum feeling blue and she thinks about time and eternity and then she feels a little better. Oh. There's no action in it if that's what you're looking for. Why does everything have to have a big plot? All that melodramatic garbage. No, Greta, I agree with you. The story sounds great. Oh, no. Isn't this ridiculous? You give me one funny look, and I feel the whole story's worthless. No, I'm sure it's a wonderful story. Big question. What is the difference between plot versus story to you? I mean, a story, a, the story, like, I don't know. Days and Confused has a story, but it doesn't have a plot. Plot, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there's no, it's, there's no like built rising action or, you know, there's not going to be a climax, but there's still a story. Like, yeah. um, all of these, everything has a story, but everything doesn't necessarily have a plot or necessarily need to have a plot. It's I, the, the basic thing. And I think it's kind of broken down the scene is like story is what is it about? And a plot is what happens. Mm-hmm. I think I even heard Scorsese one time he, when he won, he won his best director Oscar for the departed. And they're like, why do you think you finally won for The Departed and not the other movies? He goes, because this one has a plot. Because mm-hmm. when you watch The Departed, it's very much a, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. But when you look at something like Main Streets or Taxi Driver or Raging Bull, it's not really a plot. It's a character piece about this about this boxer, about this guy who's kind of, who's lonely and being isolated from the city in this big, huge city and slowly goes kind of insane. And Linklater is a director who focuses pretty much on story and outside of maybe school of rock and his studio movies he it's mostly all story those movies are the plot movies that's Mm. why i think school of rock is such a a big accomplishment is because he was able to do a movie that was like plot driven but still have his voice in it that's my rant on story versus plot they're not the same thing stop calling it that (laughs) <laughs> but but me and orson wells was his biggest bomb of his career i think it was it was 25 million dollar budget made 2.3 million dollars so it was his biggest bomb i've also heard i i heard in an interview he did recently or a few years ago when he was promoting last flag flying he was like I, he said that he thinks this is one of his best movies hmm. is me and orson wells i think it's his most underrated film thomas hasn't watched it yet thomas will watch it before our next episode where we're going to talk about theater movies. So get ready for that. Um, so moving on. So we had a couple of failures of these lost years. And I think the big thing that happens is that Linklater gets back to his roots of Texas movies 
and the kind of some older stories that he'd done. So you have Bernie, you have Before Midnight, you have Boyhood, and you have Everybody Wants Some. A pretty great four movies in a row. Mm-hmm. So Bernie, can you tell us a little bit about Bernie real quick? Yeah, Bernie's based on a on a true story um, about a, a man who was, there was a, a small town in Texas and a woman who was very famous for being just the worst and everybody hated her. And there was a, a, a younger man who was her, as they call it in the South, companion. And nobody <laughs> ever, ever knew what the nature of their relationship was. But everybody liked this guy and nobody liked her. But for some reason, she liked him and um, and she turned up dead and he got all of her money. And there was a whole investigation as to whether or not he had anything to do with her death. And yeah, they, got, they turned into this movie. And um, and this movie should not work. Yeah. Like it should not work to me. But it, it I think is arguably his most Texas movie because it's mm-hmm. shot like a docudrama. And you're seeing like, oh, Bernie was such a great guy. He was this, he was that. And they're like cutting back and forth. There's a whole bit at one point where one of the guys explains the divisions of Texas. He's mm-hmm. like, we're East Texas. He's like, here's how we're different. And he goes, then you have that, the the Republic of Austin with all those artsy people. Like he's just like breaking it all down. And it's kind of amazing. Cause also again, Linklater is mainly from East Texas. So it feels like this is his like true, like his real Texas movie. At least uh, capturing the culture of it. Yeah, and it and it, it ties into that. So we've talked about it in southern movies, and especially in, in Last Picture Show, that kind of southern like gossip culture and, and everything yeah. is like repressed, but everybody knows what's going on, but nobody's talking about it, and that's all important in, into this. And also, it takes about about fifteen minutes or more into it, but they start when they start cutting to McConaughey. It's so amazing. Mm. Like McConaughey is just so good in this movie. This was this was early McConaughey's. This was um, yes, very much so. This Free was Dallas Buyers Club. Not long after after Mud, right? Mud was before this. This might have been. Uh, this might have been before Mud. But I do remember this. I remember this being in the news, not the news, but like you know, entertainment circles as yeah, yeah, yeah. a Linklater's back. B he brought McConaughey back with him and there it's both. It's a lot of fun with both of them. Uh, this was a year before, uh, mud. Wow. So you're, okay. se- you're seeing Lincoln lawyer, Bernie and killer Joe all in this year. Mm. So this is like the very beginning of the McConaughey's and, and he's amazing in it. And Jack Black's great. And Shane McClane's great. It's also just like, he only has three big actors in this movie, which I forgot about. And it's all just like local hires out of Austin Mm -hmm. or just the real people who live there or wherever they're at, like doing the documentary stuff. It's a, again, and I, I read that he was saying, he's like, yeah, when you read the script, it reads so boring. Like it feels so boring because you're just seeing all these people just like talk, talk, talk to camera. He's like, but I know the voices are going to make this good and interesting. And he was right. Carthage is in East Texas. And that's totally different from the rest of Texas, which could be five different states, actually. You got your West Texas out there with a bunch of flat ranches. Up north, you got some Dallas snobs with their Mercedes. And then you got the Houston, the carcinogenic coast is what I call it, all the way up to Louisiana. Then down south, San Antonio, uh, that's where the... Tex meets the Max, like the food. And then in Central Texas, you got the People's Republic of Austin with a bunch of hairy-legged women and liberal fruitcakes. 
course, I left out the panhandle, and a lot of people do, but Carthage, this is where the South begins. This is life behind the pine curtain. And, and, and truth be known, it's a good place. Carthage has such a good reputation that it's listed in the Best Small Towns in America, Volume 2, as the best small town in Texas. That's right, page 157. Oh, hell, most people live in Carthage because they were born here. Then we get to Before Midnight. You just watched Before Midnight right before this episode. I, I immediately ended the movie and hopped on Skype, yep. So what are your thoughts on Before Midnight? And then I guess now we can talk about the whole series as a whole, or the whole Before series as a whole. Yeah, I think I definitely benefited from watching it as a whole. I saw this one in theaters um, when it came out, and it was, I mean, it, it felt like a big deal. I was not aware of the series when, before uh, Sunset came out. So I, I, I didn't have the hype of like, oh my gosh, they're making a sequel to this. But this time it was like, I had seen both of them multiple times, and it was like, oh my gosh, they made another one. Um, and then you, and then you get in the, in the theater and you sit down and, and you get about halfway through the movie and it just turns into the final half of the film as a fight. And it, and it's, it's tough. It's, it's yeah tough to watch these characters, but it's, it's real. And, and watching it this time too, there's, you know, we were talking about him being earnest and him never being, and Linklater never being mean spirited and the fight in itself, there's always, he, he peppers it and, and, and Hawk and, 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 um, uh, Delpy, they were all co-writers and and you know it's i feel like it's important that you know they hawk and delpy as, as writers and as people are just important to this series as as linklater is and they, there's always these little moments peppered in when just when it starts to get like too heavy there's there's a joke when you just kind of go like hmm and it and it really helps it really yeah. really helps and and um and and you know it feels like i talked about how the first two movies were about watching them fall in love and there's there's a moment in this movie when you go is this movie about them falling out of love but it's not it's just about them living living in love yeah yeah and and realistically what happens when you share your life with a person for 10 years and 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 you both go through life not turning out the way you thought it would I, I loved it. I, I it's it's I, it's hard to rank them all. I, I, I think I, I rank before sunset as the highest just because I love that they shot it in real time. And I love the, the, the you know, technical aspects of it. But I, I they're all incredible and watching. I, I've really, really enjoyed watching them as as like a solid piece. Yeah. And, and with before midnight, it, it's t it's it's almost a blend of before sunrise and sunset because it feels like there's only like seven scenes in before midnight. Mm -hmm. Like the first, like the it had the car ride at the beginning of the movie, where it just feels like fifteen minutes of just of those of them two talking with the kids in the back seats, and it's the, and it's like you also get the idea of like the parenting and the marriage of it, where it's like when they're driving and they're just like, oh, there are the ruins. The kids wanted to stop there. He goes, let's not wake him up. Let's just keep driving. Mm -hmm. And then like the first thing they do when they wake up, are we going to the ruins? They're like, oh no, they were closed. Mm -hmm. Like it's just it captures the, not just the 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 love aspect of it and the marriage or the, they're not, they're not married actually, but the, the partnership they have and then the parenting they have to deal with and the struggle of like having a kid across the country, Ethan Hawke's character. Yeah. I think I, I actually didn't really love this movie the first time I watched it. I think because it definitely does not have that romanticism as much as the first two do. It's definitely like some people. Well, find it even goes as far because I mean, visually, the, the first two are so romantic because you're walking through these European streets and everything, and you, 
it, this one does it walks you through the streets of greece and they're they're they are being romantic and then when it when it's time for the fight it puts you in a hotel room and it says yeah. all right you don't get those visuals anymore because this is this is real this is going to get real but yeah and i, and I think watching it as a whole that you it, it does help to realize that like this feels incredibly authentic to what these people's lives these characters are so well realized throughout these movies um and 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 it does you, when you watch it as a whole you go oh this is 100 percent what that 23 year old jesse would be like as a 41 year old that is it's this this feels absolutely like the path that he was on um and and celine as well right on the fridge at work you know those uh magnet words that people make sentences with mm-hmm. someone had put together women explore for eternity in the vast garden of sacrifice <laughs> Wow, that's a sure sign from God. Yeah, that line is so damn true, and it's been for 10,000 years, but that's enough. Okay, I don't want to be one of these women. Like, marriage is important to gays, or contraception to women's rights. It's the same with giving up my hopes. With the millions of women that have had to give up their hopes, I'm not going to do it. This is bigger than me. This means more than me. Wow. Bravo. The Nobel Committee is taking note. I'm just... Hold on a second, I'm gonna alert Sweden, okay? I mean, it must be a full-time job carrying that much feminine oppression. It is. You suffered so much growing up in middle-class Paris. I mean, the agony in the trenches of the Sorbonne in the post-feminist era, I can't imagine. You're an asshole. You know what, sweetie? When are we moving to Chicago? No, I, I wanna make sure we're able to find a nice house and I can sew the drapes and pick matching bed covers. So this is how you now want to be spending this evening? I mean, this, this is what you wanna do tonight? Well, you started it. No, you are the one who will not shut up about it. But if you wanna talk about it, I mean, really talk about it, I would prefer to have an unemotional, rational conversation. I mean, do you think we could do that? Would that be possible? Here we go. Unemotional, rational. You always play the part of the one and only rational one. And I'm the irrational, hysterical, hormone crazy one because I have emotions. Then he does Boyhood. Also titled the the 12-year project. I'm gonna let you lead this one, Thomas. You you carry this. You tell me tell me what you want to do. So so yeah, Boyhood was shot over 12 years about and about just a boy growing up, and it drops in every it drops in for about 20 minutes or less than that. Sometimes, sometimes less than five minutes um, every year. And you just see his life and, and his, um, his sister is played by Linklater's daughter and his uh, parents are played by Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. And I, I love this movie. I've watched it three or four times now. I, it, it feels like a, it feels like a companion piece to the before series in the way that he captures real people changing over real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I I've always told you anyone I've, I've known who watched it and, and didn't love it. I think part of the reason is as, as great as Linklater is at casting actors, the kid that he chose did not grow up to be a great actor. LR Coltrane is, is great as a kid but at some point in high school he just kind of loses it and he feels a little wooden by the end of it i i, I can see i think it happens right at the middle of the movie yeah I yeah there's right a scene the when that movie. girl when, he, when he's rolling he's he's doing his bike down he's like ro- walking down the alley with his bike and he's talking to a girl that is when you go oh 
yeah <laughs> that's that's the same that's the same where I'm like oh okay because yeah. well, um, because because I don't think he has a lot of dialogue before he has a great look and he has like good moments where like when he's not saying dialogue but that's the first big scene because he's gotten older he has the responsibility of I can carry this long walk and talk and just something about he's always looking down it's just there's something about it that just doesn't work for me yeah and and i know uh, some other people i know who didn't like it said uh, i literally had someone tell me one time there's a scene when they're um they have a, a, a stepfather who has a drinking issue and there's a scene when he's driving and and he's visibly drunk and someone said i really hope they would crash so something would happen and i think like we were talking about plot versus story yeah, like there, yeah there's not a plot in this there's like, not. nothing's nothing magnificent happens in this kid's life nothing out of the ordinary happens in this kid's life which i loved about it but but what I've always told people who watched it and, and had such a problem with the, the child actor is this movie is about his parents. The the people who change in this movie are his parents and, and their changes have some effects on him. But the, the character arcs through this movie are Ethan Hawke's and Patricia Arquette's. And I think they are incredibly well performed and incredibly well realized. And it, and it fe- and it's I think we are it's truly incredible for like film history that we have these two and especially that ethan hawk is involved in both but these two capsules of like adults aging in real time and and seeing like realistic depictions of what growing up as an adult feels like like maturing from your like 20s through your 40s um but i that that is my what i take away every time i watch this movie is hawk and arquette and um their their character journeys through raising this child and and i think sometimes it's because it's called boyhood and because you're following the kid i think you lose sight of that sometimes but i think that's the heart of the movie um and it's incredibly well done in my opinion what'd you think brandon (laughs) that's what i was waiting for so i i we saw this movie i think right right after when i moved to la saw at the landmark Mm -hmm. theater i was i was driving i was driving to la when it came out I, I literally had a conversation with a woman at a museum in New Mexico. I went to, I went to this random roadside museum and I said, she said, Oh, what brings you here? And I said, Oh, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And she said, Oh, what for? And I said, I said, you go, to go to film school. And she said, have you seen boyhood? <laughs> <laughs> I so, said, not yet. So I had been keeping track of this movie weirdly since high school. I had heard about it and I was like, Ooh, that's a, how's he going to pull that off? Cause I don't know if I was, I, I was aware of link later. I was like somehow like cruising like Wikipedia and seeing filmographies. And, and it said like boyhood or 12 year project or something like that. And I was just like, is he really going to shoot this for 12 years? Like, is this actually going to be a thing? So I was really hyped about this movie and I was at Sundance that year for a class when boyhood, like all of a sudden became a film there, like, two weeks two or three weeks before they announced it was a surprise thing and i get there and everyone i talked to like oh my god it's amazing it's gonna blow your mind and so it was really hyped up for me i go into it and when i watched it i was like that was good like i didn't i didn't love it when i saw it i felt it was slow and again we're going on this idea i also there were parts where i was like man, I wish something happens in this movie. Like there's a part when they're like chucking like, uh, like saw blades or whatever. 
And I'm like, man, will someone get hit and like they have to go to the hospital? See, or, I, I love that. Or they're, something. They're, they're kicking around an old construction site. And I'm like, I, how many times did I do that? And like, I, I, not. yeah, <laughs> no, they haven't. I'm getting there. I'm just yeah. giving my initial, my, my original yeah, views yeah, yeah. on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. And so I was just like, oh, uh, and and I didn't like, and I still kind of don't like this actually, is that the, the the criticism of it was just, I felt like it was too highly praised. I still think that. I feel like people were just like, oh my, like even even after it lost the Oscars, they were just like, Birdman might have won, but time will show that Boyhood was the greatest film of this decade. And I'm like, hold on now, it's not that. So I, I didn't like it. And I've also talked a lot of crap about it over the past few years because I didn't like it. Uh, and I finally rewatched it for this episode and I really do like this movie. Yes. <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I really do like this movie. And I think the issues that there's, I still have issues with certain things. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Uh, like I would love to see the daughter a little bit more. I love to see this, but just the feat of what he did i now get why it was just so like how it was how is he able to get all these people together and really show the transition of it? and also to i think it's just age i was 22 when i saw it i'm now 28 going on 29 and i'm now remembering all like the nostalgic things it's bringing up of the time because it very much is this like nostalgic trip of like oh harry potter and the hat or a half-blood prince um release party or soldier boy being a big hit back in my day with with uh with crank dad like all that, he's using music cues from the eras he's using pop culture reference there's at like one point there's a kid singing a high school musical song i'm like i knew people like that that did that like it, it with age I, it's really it definitely captured some of the things that were being talked about some of the culture that was happening uh in my life at that time and I do think Ethan Hawke, I've always thought Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette were great in it. And I do agree with you. Uh, it is about their arcs. It's the whole like Ethan Hawke's character is the dude driving a muscle car and is like the kind of the, the, the father that comes in and out of their lives who's smoking cigarettes and all that. And then by the end of it, he's driving a minivan with a kid. He's now married. He like works at an insurance company. He's given up on music. And you've had that whole arc of this character and you've seen it through time, which is what happens to people. You have adults mm-hmm. who like are really holding on to those, like those teenage dreams of being a musician or being a writer, or being an artist. And I wouldn't say conform, but they just, they realize that maybe that's not the thing for them. Maybe they, their, their passions and something else, maybe their focus should be more on family than it was before. And that's the whole thing is that he, he realizes that he should have been there more for his kids, his, his first two kids. And now he's trying to rewrite the wrongs with this new, with his new, this new son and his new wife. I love the, I love the, the like way he, there's a scene when he pulls up in like a minivan and he like apologizes. And like, I love he he's, he is someone who like never wanted to mature, but he has. Yeah. And he almost like is ashamed of it. Yeah. And then you know, you're going to talk about Patricia Arquette. It's like in in direct like the dual. There's this duality of the way that the two of them, what they want at the beginning of the movie, and what ends up happening for both of them. And it's it's almost tragic, I think. Yeah, because her character. I think you told me it was like her character like never really progresses. She wants to change. She he, wants to. He change. doesn't want to mature. 
Ethan Hawke doesn't want to mature, but he does. Yeah. And she wants to so bad. Yeah. And she can't, she can't ever quite like break out of, I don't want to say her shell, but like she can't ever quite like break through to what she, what she wants to be in life. And I don't, I don't say have routine, but it's like, she ends up falling for the same, like drunken dudes that like either abuse her or abuse her kids or are verbally abusive or physically abusive to either of them. And it's like, she keeps falling for those same guys. And it's either like, it's a, it's her professor at first. Then it's her, then it's her, I think students, it feels like it another time. Mm-hmm. It's like, she keeps falling into these same patterns. And then kind of by the end, she ends up like they start a small house and they start building up by the end of the movie. She's living in her mom's apartment. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, nothing's gone right for her. Well, it took, I, it took me showing my mom this movie to really, my, I, I showed it to my mom and I, I kind of talked to her about it afterwards. And there's a, the, the last moment that Patricia Arquette has in the movie is her, her son's getting ready to go to college. And she like, she like very briefly like guilts him for leaving her. And my, and my mom said that is so immature of her to do that as a, as a mother and as a person. And I, I, I was like, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. But like, yeah, she, she has not, like it, it's really her her arc is is really tragic but like she's someone who had so much ambition and wanted so much for herself and like isn't able to to break out of her her like you know she's she's not able to overcome herself well it's 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 that's what she's like or she says in that scene of like i thought it'd be so much harder for you it's like it's hard for her that she, he's leaving but it's not hard for him and she's trying to guilt and like make him feel bad that like He's just like, yeah, I'm going to college. I will say too that you're talking about how people change. You do see, I noticed this time is that when he's dry, when he's gotten older, he's about to go to college. He's essentially having the same convert. Like he sounds like his dad. He sounds like mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke in the first few like scenes when you first see Ethan Hawke. Like, oh, I read this article where I saw I was talking about this, and then all of a sudden you see him when he's like 17. Oh, I was reading this article yesterday about Facebook, and I'm like, oh wait. He's become his father. He's driving this beat up truck. He likes this truck, this kind of like manly like thing that he's doing. And he's, he's always informing people about something they don't know. And that's kind of, that's kind of Mason senior, Ethan Hawke's character. That's kind of what he does. The early on part is like, Hey, don't think that way. Think like this, like the stuff I read and everything. So it's, it's interesting seeing that. And I didn't notice that the first time. But it also just shows like how you're saying how the parents have an effect on kids and how their thoughts and their minds uh, are molded by them, either as a way they, they conform and believe what their parents say or they rebel and revolt against it like he does in his like mid-teen years. Mm-hmm. So I liked it more. Nice. So there you go. I, I I I'm now on. And technically, the it's incredible. Like uh, that, you, oh, you kind of have to amazing. separate that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy how how they're able to do that. It's amazing. So moving on from Boyhood to Everybody Wants Some. Everybody Wants Some. I I think I heard heard Linklater say that like he never. He, this is in 2017. I don't know if it's still true, but he was saying he's never like really like lost out to a studio in terms of like losing the his vision of a movie. But he's like, but I have lost in terms of like the release. And he said, with Everybody Wants Some paramount really didn't give any effort to releasing this movie on a larger scale but weirdly it has kind of developed a little bit of a following in the way maybe not to the same extent but in a way as dazed and confused 
So Thomas, what does everybody want some about? Uh, yeah, it's set in like the three days before college starts when like students are moving in on a Friday and, and classes start on Monday. And uh, it, it follows mainly of the uh, college freshman who's coming in to be a pitcher on the baseball team. And they're supposedly the it's what is Texas Southern University, I think it's uh, called or yeah, Southern Texas, so. Southern Texas, something like that. But they're they're supposedly the greatest baseball team in the country. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just about him getting hazed and getting being friends with the becoming friends with the boys on the baseball team and kind of like figuring out what college life is going to be like and meeting a girl and um it a lot like days confused and i think as we see i think the thing with days confused too is like i think as we see these people become more famous we'll see people come back to this movie yeah um but like days confused link later cast a like fairly like young unknown group of actors um who have eventually turned into the the um romantic the female lead is is played by zoe deutsch the the kind of like upperclassman who takes the main character under his wing is played by glenn powell who zoe deutsch and glenn powell were in set it up on netflix together yep well blake jenner the main character was also in um uh edge of 17 and american animals which is incredible watch american animals um yeah, Jay Quentin Johnson, who who is also one of the the main like upperclassmen, um, is, is has is or has been in Hamilton since. Okay, I think um, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And Wyatt Russell, uh, Kurt Russell's son. So yeah, uh, I think yeah, I, and well, and also um, Tyler Hetchlin, who was a, a child actor, who's the kid from um, Road to Perdition. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. Just got that one. Just got that one. Yeah. Yeah, he was on Seventh Heaven too. But yeah, like a like a really fun young cast, and um, and we're already starting to see them, you know, go on to do bigger things. But I I think as as they get more, you know, like you go back and show people Days Confused, and you go, yeah, there's Ben Affleck. Like I think everybody wants some will get yeah. more acclaim when you can go. There's Glenn Powell, like the yeah, guy yeah. from Top Gun too, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maverick. Yeah, yeah. That's I think it will happen, but I think it's a. I do think Glenn Powell, Wyatt Russell, and Zoe Deutsch to me are that like the 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 trinity of the movie like yeah. in terms of dialogue like hearing glenn powell because like you're thinking about ethan hawk as the guy who's like essentially the surrogate for link later in terms of how he's like spewing these philosophical conversations and comments and like kind of uh is usually these kind of eccentric characters and glenn powell fully buys into that like glenn powell in this movie that. and I, I had forgotten how much i in this movie he blew me away but glenn powell in this movie has like it yeah capital it it's it's like it's like bill murray meatballs it's like chevy chase it's like eddie murphy and uh in beverly hills cop it's just like you watch it and you're like this guy's magnetic he's he's definitely buying into the link later like universe or whatever mm-hmm. and i think Wyatt russell's the next one up that does that yeah there's a couple of these in here like everybody wants some i think like me and orson wells that need to be more discovered from the link later catalog and i mm-hmm. think this is one of them well and i think like i mean there's several things you know he's he's kind of called it the spiritual sequel to days confused and that there's a lot of similarities and for instance when you're talking about them fumbling the the distribution of it i remember when the first trailer for this came out i was really excited for this movie and the first trailer came out and i kind of went uh and then i i had to make myself think i i thought i've never seen a trailer for days confused and i had to go how would i cut a trailer for days confused you can't <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and so that that was going into it i i i had to remind myself that 
but um i think it's also one of those movies that needs to it, it improves upon rewatching, so it, it needs it time does. for people to see it over and over again I, I i still think especially and i've told you this i think amazon prime had it for a while it's not currently streaming but i think if it could land on like a netflix um i think it could really blow up you gotta notice the clues rope there was a typewriter in the back oh yeah they're intelligent girls you have to rise and meet them on their level huh is that right Act like you've read a book before, jeez. Okay, Finn, you're up. Oh, I can't do any worse. Here we go. Take notes, boys. <clears throat> Excuse me, ladies. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice you ladies being hassled by that asshole in the car back there. It's a shame. You know, some guys are just so aggressive. You know, myself, I'm a firm supporter of the ERA, although I doubt it's going to have an immediate impact on the societal norm of the male gender initiating virtually all contact with prospective females, uh-huh. you know, which might seem predatory on the surface, but I assure you Trust that... Trust me. You should be investing this energy elsewhere. Well, now you just plain hurt our feelings. <laughs> Do you also hate guys that are athletic, intelligent, sometimes endearingly clumsy, or is that just her? Hey, Fit, did you mention Hung? I didn't mention Hung Dale, not yet. Okay. <laughs> um, y'all want to know the truth? Always. It'll set you free. I like the quiet guy in the back seat. In the middle. There's nothing here. Lesbians. Yeah! Did you guys hear that? I didn't hear anything. Illusional. Moving on to what I call Where Are We Now? <laughs> where'd you go, Linklater? Where, where'd you go, Linklater? So, <laughs> we have we have two movies back to back. We'll have Last Flag Flying and Where'd You Go, Bernadette. I, I need to rewatch Last Flag Flying. It's been a, it's, I haven't seen it since it was like released in Oscar season or whatever. I don't remember loving it. I remember liking it and liking the three characters. It's about like, essentially it's, it's a Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, Lars Fishburne are these Vietnam war veterans who reunite. This is also a recurring theme of of a reunion. This is like the third movie in his catalog. that's done this. Um, They reunite because Steve Carell's son has died in the Iraq war and he needs help to, to, he asks his two former friends from Vietnam to help him, go on a road trip to get his son's body and bring it back so it can be buried. And it's based, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a novel sequel to the, to the novel, the last detail, which is made into a movie starring Jack Nicholson, where it's about these two Vietnam war vets who have to take essentially the, the younger Steve Carell character, essentially like to Navy prison or whatever, because he's done something illegal. This is a sequel to that. It's, it's good it's it's of the early 2000s so it has kind of this like a little bit of a nostalgic view not nostalgic but like the technology of the air and kind of the thoughts of the air but just it's something's just not clicking and i feel that same way about where'd you go bernadette like you see the tropes of Linklater in both these films where'd you go bernadette is essentially about this character played by kate blanchett who's an architect who's kind of become a recluse and has essentially lost her way in terms of like um her artistry and she's lost her voice and she doesn't do architecture anymore, but she was this one great, she was a great architecture that's like being, being forgotten. And it, the, the, the trailer was marketed in terms of marketing with this. It, it was marketed as like a mystery film and like, Oh my God, where did she go? And, and I always felt like it was like a movie where like in the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, Bernadette's left and no one knows where she is and they're trying to find her. That's not what happens in this movie. Like it's definitely about this artist who's lost her way, who's trying to find it. 
and she doesn't dis she doesn't leave until like an hour into the movie that was my joke i was like i'm watching a movie called where'd you go bernadette and she hasn't gone anywhere yet uh i'm an hour into it but i i get that it's about this artist who's lost their way and it's just something about it i think both i do kind of consider both these films studio films mm-hmm. even though it's linked later and they have kind of an indie voice to it i do feel like there is a studio thing on it i don't know yeah i don't I, where'd you go bernadette was a hugely successful book and yeah. I, it doesn't i don't know the facts behind this but it doesn't it feels like a studio bought it and then approached link later it doesn't feel like link later was like this is yeah this is my book i want to do because it was it was a big big book and um and yeah it feels like they were just trying to attach it to a director and it ended up with him yeah and so it, i i i i'm i i hesitate to say it's his worst film because it's it's brand new. I've only seen it one time, and and and, and as I'm finding out with Linklater films, they kind of need rewatches. They need they need time. They need they need time to help it out. Ironically, where they they improve with time, and I just it it did. I didn't grab me. It just felt kind of it felt too clean. That's another thing that I think some of the things he's lost in terms of like the way it looks that he had so much earlier is that it felt of the era, and I think even everybody wants some. It feels too nowadays and too digital and too clean than what his earlier films had mm-hmm. so that's my that's my view on these two films uh and then he has boyhood 2.0 with the uh, merrily we roll along which is uh he's doing a musical adapt a, mu- a film adaptation of the musical and he's gonna shoot over 20 years the 20 year project the 20 year project i think he's gonna be 79 when he's done with it, he's currently 59, so he'd be 79 when he finishes it. So, I don't know. I I I I'm intrigued. Yep. Apparently, yep. apparently it's done in reverse chron- like a, a chronology. So like, you have to like, you need the ending for the movie to work. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my thing. You need the movie. So it's like you you're really waiting for a while to get the beginning of the movie. Apparently uh so anyway that's that's our that's the the end of our dive into the link layer filmography now for our last parts our stats and final questions unless you have anything else to say about the filmography no i think we covered I it think, i think we've got we we've done a very deep dive in the link later guys um so stats i feel like you can guess some of these um most popular film on letterbox on our letterbox list that we have called dazed and confused like most, most seen most seen no school of rock no no think letterbox thomas before sunset i mean before sunrise no days and fuse no boyhood yes Two hundred seventy thousand views on letterbox uh least popular least same uh uh his uh original it's impossible to learn to plow by reading book correct that is correct that is his least popular highest top three highest rated films you can get this just the before trilogy yes <laughs> <laughs> guess the ranking i'm gonna guess that it just goes just goes as is yep but sunrise sunset midnight yeah but i will say this sunrise and sunset both have a 4.3 out of 5 uh-huh. so it's it's kind of tied lowest rated films uh fast food nation bottom three that's that's number three uh suburbia no no, people on Letterbox like Suburbia. I looked up the reviews it's after like a, I got done with it's it. It's like a 3.2. Um, uh, the Newton Boys. The Newton Boys is number two. Tape. 
No. Tape's tape's pretty high. Tape's pretty high. Tape is like a 3.4, 3.5. Bernadette? No. That's around like a, a 2.9 or 3. I don't know. I don't know. What's the last one? Bad News Bears, 2.6. Really? Yeah. Wow. Bad News Bears, 2.6. Newton Boys, 2.8. Fast Food Nation, 2.8. So there you go. And I, then I think I think next might be uh, It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books. Uh, here's an easy one. Softball. Most appearances. Even hot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How many? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Eight. Eight. He has eight. Before sunrise. Before oh, yeah, sunset, tape. I was forgetting tape. Before midnight. The Newton Boys. Waking Life. Tape. Fast Food Nation, Boyhood. Oh, and, and Newton Boys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boyhood. So he's yeah. he eight. And then at McConaughey I guess, has... you know, go go back in time to that guy sitting in the, the theater watching Days Confused. And he be was like, just hey, so man. upset, man. He's like, I gotta be in his movies. And then essentially... <laughs> so think about that. So he did three movies at that point. I think he's done 20 movies so far. So that means uh, Ethan Hawke has been in eight of the 17. So almost wow. half of his movies after that, Ethan Hawke has been a part of. Um, uh, final questions. Uh, first up, for people who are listening, where should they start? What length layer film should they start with? I think Days Confused. Okay, that's how I. My girlfriend had not seen mo- other than School of Rock. She had not seen any of his movies. And okay, um, we start with Days Confused. If you haven't seen School of Rock already, maybe that. Yeah. But um, but I think Days Confused is a really good. It's it's a really user friendly intro into his style I agree. whereas school of rock doesn't necessarily feel as much like oh this is like this is link later like this is yeah, his yeah, yeah. time and 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 conversations about life and all that kind of stuff um i think days confused is is you start with days confused and then you do maybe everybody wants some i'd say days confused before trilogy and then everybody wants some is a fun little like um, palate pal- cleanser yeah and then you can and then dive in however you will after that. Dive in the deep end. We've kind of covered it, but how is Linklater Texas? After looking at all of his filmography, what are some things that have popped up? I mean, definitely the 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 feeling, I think that that's the kind of the crazy thing. The, the, well, the interesting thing about having worked in this genre and we've studied all this stuff, and to now watch someone who is from Texas make movies outside of Texas, I think that feeling of like being stuck yeah. and like the vastness has has expanded into like everything. Um, but I also think, and I, I got to throw this out there, this, we haven't really talked about this, but like the, 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 I think, you know, the, the sincerity and, and the earnestness and everything we've been talking about, that is, that is part of his Texas upbringing. I think, yeah. you know, if someone who was raised in New York city set out to make a movie that was just dialogue about life, it would not come out as, it would not feel as like completely like. I don't want to use the word pretentious, but like it, 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 humbled and and, yeah, and yeah. earnest as as his stuff does. Yeah, and I and I think uh, I definitely think like that that the the feeling of being trapped and like the vastness of of Texas has turned into like the vastness of life for him, and and yeah. maybe that's where all this this time stuff comes from. Yep, yeah, I agree. Um, is Linklater in our tour? Yeah, one hundred percent. And Ethan Hawke's a surrogate. I think Ethan Hawke's is like philosophical type surrogate, and McConaughey's mm-hmm. is bro surrogate. Yep. Like uh, yeah, one hundred percent. That's kind of what it is. I wish that I wish the kid. Uh, I, I was thinking this this time watching everybody wants some. I wish the kid that plays the catcher, the freshman catcher, 
Uh-huh. I wish he was a better actor because he looks like Linklater. Like he would be a fantastic like Linklater stand-in. He would. Yeah, yeah. They have the same shaped face. Could have been good. And then a uh, Buter or Buford or whatever that the other guy. Buter. Yeah, Buter. Man, I I went to high school with a guy like that. Actually, the same guy I went to high school with that's Ben Foster in Hell or High Water is Buter from Everybody Wants. <laughs> wow! Shout out! Shout out twice in a series. <laughs> So my high school, but one of my high school best friends. Okay, if you're casting a Linklater movie, like an Altman X story, maybe it's a mini series or whatever. Out of his ensemble of people that he's used throughout his career, who are the ten actors you pick? Uh, McConaughey. Okay. Hawk. Okay. Delpy. Yep. Glenn Powell. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 the, these are mine right now. Wyatt Russell. Okay. Um. All right, this, the 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 back five. I'm gonna try and surprise you a little bit. Jack Black. I'll yeah, give you Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that one. Um, I really like Jay Quentin Johnson in Everybody Wants Some. Okay. I would bring him back. Parker Posey, one hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. First of all, I just I, I love Parker Posey, but Parker Posey is so good in Days and Confused. Yep. I'm bringing back the dude that played Don in Days and Confused. I don't know what he's up to in life, <laughs> but he's so good in that movie. Okay. Um, yeah, one more left, I think. We, we were doing ten. Yeah, I got I got one left, dude. That's nine. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to pull too much from everybody who wants some, but you know I love young talent, Zoe Deutsch. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I I I would maybe throw in Greg Kinnear for one of those for me because he's popped up in two Linklater's films and I really like him in both films. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because those are... Uh, Deutsch is one I would... Because I, I feel like a lot of dudes are in that top 10. So you got... Like, I think Deutsch is one of his. And then Patricia Arquette might also be mm. right on the outskirts, maybe. I'm not sure. Depends yeah, on what choos- the story is. I was is. choosing between the two of them for that last role, yeah. but... Um... Yeah, it, it depends on what the story is, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know what the story is. It's... it's it's uh, Actually, it's just all South by Southwest, like... Early 1990s, you're at a music festival in Austin. And you're just following all these people. There you go. That's your show or movie. Um, anything else? Oh, next month. So we're ending Texas month right now. We're moving into June. So we have a new genre. We're looking at theater movies. So you have a week to prepare. <laughs> we're doing a month of theater movies. There's no Tonys this year, but we wanted to kind of look at theater as a genre in terms of film. I, a lot of people, there's some confusion of what is a theater movie, and we're going to discuss it. We're going to bring up me and Orson Welles again next week uh, because that's one of the more recent theater movies that I think is worth watching. And I'm doing my best to pressure people to go watch me and Orson Welles if can because I do think it's one of Linklater's best. I think it's his most underrated film, actually. Um, and it's worth seeing and hopefully can... I'm not saying we're going to give it a life of its own, or a new life, but hopefully some people will discover it from this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to us on our podcast and Spotify. Uh, give us a rating, give us a review. Um, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look at, look at our medium stuff. And I think that's it. Thomas, as always, thank you for diving into this link later. I mean, I don't know if I can watch a link there film for a while after this. It's been a real pleasure, man. Well, we've it's watched been... almost all of them. I know. I've literally, I'm, can... I'm, pro- I'm probably doing an article because I've watched so many in a short amount of time. I could turn around and watch, I could watch Days and Confused tonight. I really could. <laughs> 
That's gonna I be will. my la that's gonna be my last one of this rewatch. It's probably Days and Confused. And you know what? It, 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 we did it so seamlessly. The listeners might not realize this, but we recorded this podcast in real time. <laughs> in a car, driving actually. In Paris. In Paris. <laughs> Again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Go watch some Linklater films, and we hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.